How will the conflict with Israel and Hamas affect supply chains? New funding for hydrogen fuel production and finding solutions for supply chain challenges. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight audit and payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Their end-to-end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipment processes within the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Check out nvisionglobal.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the world is still in shock over the ongoing devastation happening in Israel and Gaza. In addition to the human tragedies, there are also economic and supply chain impacts to the ongoing conflict. To find out more about those impacts, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Today's guest is Sundaresh Haragu. He is the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs in the College of Engineering, Architecture, and Technology at Oklahoma State University. He has a long history in logistics and material handling, having taught at many colleges and universities here in the United States and abroad. Welcome, Sundaresh. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, thanks for being here. So uh, Dave laid this out for us. It's been uh, almost two weeks since the Hamas attack in Israel and the subsequent war that's raging there now. How is the violence and instability in the region affecting global supply chains in general? Well, let me begin by expressing my deepest sympathies to the families and friends of innocent people who lost their lives in Israel and Gaza and those that are still being held hostage. There are more than 4,000 people in Gaza and 1,400 people in Israel that have been killed during this conflict. Many more have been injured. The surprise attack on October 7th has shaken countries not just in the region, but around the world, like Dave mentioned. For the moment, the conflict appears to be contained to the region, but with so many moving parts near and far, you never fully know how else this could escalate. With respect to supply chain, let's look at Israel's imports and exports, as well as its major trading partners. For Israel, it's US and China that are the major trading partners. China, for example, imports fertilizer and other goods and exports vehicles to Israel. In 2022, Israel's main imports were mineral fuels, oil, distillation products, electrical and electronic equipment, machinery, vehicles and precious metals. Combined, these made up for 50% of its imports. The major exports are cut diamonds, refined petroleum, pharmaceuticals, chemicals, medical instruments, computer hardware, computer software, and so on. Clearly, the global supply chains for these products are, are impacted. The supply chain of pharmaceuticals and medical supplies from the region Uh, Chip design production, transportation logistics are all sectors that will continue to see severe strains. Israel has one of the largest uh, generic drug manufacturers. 
they also have a lot of chip production that has already taken a hit with one of the Intel plants near the Gaza border that is shut down. Uh, employees are being called for reserve duty. Production in many sectors are affected. Companies are asking people to work from home. And then H&M uh, has closed all its stores in Israel. So there are a lot of impacts on supply chain, Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that comes to mind is uh, in that region is energy. So how is this affecting global energy supplies? Yeah, uh, since October 7th, when the attack uh, was launched in, in Israel, crude oil prices have gone up between somewhere between 2 and 5%, depending upon when you look at it. But if you look at the crude oil futures, they've gone up by nearly 10% since before the attack. Uh, some oil and gas producers have been asked to shut down operations. So, for example, Chevron has a natural gas field in the Tamar region. They've been asked to shut down operations. Uh, Israel has two, at least two oil refineries, and their capacity to produce fuel is restricted. But then, you know, if U.S. were to impose sanctions, additional sanctions on Iran, uh, that could further reduce the supply of oil. Uh, but also uh, equally important, if Russia and OPEC countries cut production, they could. Uh, that would have the impact of, you know, increased prices at the pump. And a jump in oil prices could create a recession in many economies, not just in that region, but around the world. What's the uh, current situation at ports in the region? And, and what about air routes? Can you talk a little bit about those things? Sure. There are actually three ports that are either operational or not operational or semi-operational. So Haifa and Ashdod ports, they are operational, but they're witnessing disruptions and facing a backlog. Uh, the Ashkelon port is closed. Uh, and I read yesterday that a Taiwanese shipping line, they declared force majeure on a consignment. And so they basically dropped all of their cargo at hi-fi and ask their customers to come and pick it up there. The Ashdod port is a deep water port. It's barely operational. There's an oil refinery nearby and the Ashkelon is pretty much closed. Its oil terminal is shut. You know, like I said earlier, the Haifa uh, operations are seeing a significant backlog. There's the Adani group, which runs the Haifa port. They invested about $1.2 billion last year. And for now, they are saying that their operations will not be severely impacted. But then that remains to be seen. In terms of airports, um, they seem to be operational. But then, you know, like Ben Gurion, Queen Aliya in Jordan, Hariri in Lebanon. Of course, the Damascus in Syria is uh, operating at reduced capacity. But airlines and cruise ships are constantly revising their itineraries. So a lot of impact on not just the ports, but also air routes. Given all this, what would you say are the biggest concerns for shippers and carriers right now? And you know, how might this affect their business costs beyond you know, energy and things we, that we've talked about? Yeah, shipping capacity is clearly reduced. The costs have gone up. You know, marine insurance and general cost of shipping have gone up. War risk premiums are being attached to uh, carriers. Yesterday, there were some cruise missiles and drones that were launched from Yemen. I think they were Israel bound, but they were shot down by a US Navy ship. Now what happens if the conflict escalates in other regions in the 
uh, other countries uh, surrounding Israel get involved. For example, a prolonged and major attack from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Worse, Iran gets directly involved. If that happens, you know, shipping of oil via the Strait of Hormuz and you know, potentially container shipment through Suez Canal might also be impacted. What are some strategies for shippers and carriers in dealing with all of these issues? What would you uh, recommend? Yeah, there are not a lot of really great choices. Uh, I guess in the short run, countries, you know, shipping carriers from Asia that are shipping goods to the, uh, say, the west coast or the, uh, well, let's say east coast of the United States, they could consider using the Panama Canal. But right now we've got a major drought in, in the Panama Canal. It's a 50-year drought and shipping capacity there has been greatly reduced. Um, but both in the short term and perhaps, uh, I wouldn't say short term, but maybe in the intermediate and long run, uh, some things could be done by businesses. And I've been advocating this for quite some time now. And that is local sourcing of agricultural and some manufactured products. That'll have the impact of relieving the pressure on shipment and even help the environment. I mean, one could make a case, Victoria, that the total cost, when you include environmental costs of growing fruits and vegetables in one region and shipping it in refrigerated containers thousands of miles away is going to be a lot more expensive. With 3D printing could be used to produce small parts as and when needed. Uh, but overall, I think businesses need to diversify their sources of supply to multiple locations that are closer to the source of consumption. In that vein, do you have a sense of how logistics operations are going on the ground in the region? You know, what do local supply chains look like, um, especially in terms of providing humanitarian aid and, and that kind of thing? It's kind of hard to say, but there are reports that Gaza is running out of even basic hum human necessities. You know, President Biden visited the region and had a call with um, Egypt's President El-Sisi, and they were supposed to open the Rafah crossing in the south with Egypt. Uh, they said it was going to open yesterday, today, but it may be the weekend before it opens. Now, the shippers are wanting some sort of assurance that they'll have safe passage, uh, but then the roads have to be repaired too. So. We don't know uh, really, you know, in terms of when they can really get uh, humanitarian supplies like food, medicine, water to areas that are needed. I mean, they are literally running out of necessities, uh, basic necessities are in a pretty dire situation. Uh, just to quickly summarize, you know, the sure. impact of conflict on global supply chain, we should look at it from three scenarios, right? What if the water is contained just to the region? What if it goes a little bit beyond? And worse yet, what if it escalates in other parts of the region? That's a really scary scenario, and I hope we don't get there. Yeah, uh, as Dave said at the outset, there are just so many um, elements uh, to this. Um, Sundaresh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your expertise. Thank you, Victoria, and thank you, Dave. We've been talking with Sundaresh Haragu of Oklahoma State University. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Sundaresh and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about some new federal funding for alternative fuels. Can you fill us in on the details? 
Yeah, I'm glad to. Um, that's exactly right. We, this story uh, was about a new way to reduce carbon emissions from transportation and logistics, which uh, represents a significant chunk of the total emissions. Uh, but it was in a new area, which is hydrogen. Uh, this is a technology that hasn't gotten as much attention so far as some other solutions like uh, replacing internal combustion engines with battery electric vehicles, which of course we've seen in both the commercial and the consumer markets. So a lot of people are familiar with it, at least uh, if they don't own an electric car, they certainly see them on the roads. But uh, with, uh, with hydrogen, uh, it actually works in a similar way since the gas is used in a hydrogen fuel cell, which produces electricity like a battery, but it can be refueled by just adding more hydrogen, which is quite a quick process, kind of like refueling a car, instead of taking you know, more time to recharge a battery with a plug. Uh, and as the capper, uh, it's only exhaust is water. So uh, it, it's a great profile, but so far we've just seen limited pilot projects. Uh, for example, there are some container handling cranes at certain seaports. Uh, and that's partly because there's kind of a chicken and egg problem, since it's such a small scale market that there's not much infrastructure to transport or to store the gas. And without the infrastructure as a reliable source, then vehicle makers and customers are reluctant to start investing in it. Right, Ben, that chicken and egg problem is often a hurdle for any new technology. Is that what the federal funding is supposed to address? Yes, exactly. So this is $7 billion from the Department of Energy, and it's funded from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. Uh, the money is intended to launch seven what the government is calling Regional Clean Hydrogen Hubs, or H2 Hubs. Uh, one example of those H2 Hubs is at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which will use the funds to advance their use of hydrogen fuel for moving goods, uh, they're going to use specifically hydrogen fuel cell cargo handling equipment and also have mobile hydrogen fueling trucks or fueling stations within the port's terminals. Uh, another example of the investment uh, at an H2 hub uh, will be at Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, that's a company that's an Ohio producer of steel, and they supply iron ore also for the auto industry. Uh, they plan to use the hydrogen to power various manufacturing tasks uh, at their two largest steel plants, which are called Indiana Harbor and Burns Harbor. So overall, there are seven sites for the $7 billion. Uh, they get roughly a billion dollars apiece. Aside from the California hub and the Midwestern one that we just mentioned, the other five are in the Mid-Atlantic region, Appalachian, Gulf Coast, Heartland, and Pacific Northwest. Uh, the they cover in all some 17 states, uh, which are clustered largely around logistics and manufacturing sites. So we'll keep an eye on this new initiative and we'll see if the new backing can jumpstart a new fuel industry. Right, and I believe it will take a combination of a number of different types of fuels to get us to the greener future that we all hope to see. Thanks, Ben. Glad to do it. And Victoria, you attended a conference this week that highlighted some supply chain innovations. What more can you tell us? 
Yeah, Dave, that's right. I attended a conference called Innovation in Motion, Shaping the Future of Supply Chain. It was at uh, MIT uh, here in the Boston area, and it was hosted by the university's Center for Transportation and Logistics and sponsored by industry standards company GS1 US, which is probably best known for developing barcode standards. Uh, the event featured a blend of information from academia and practitioners, really to show how technology is changing supply chains for the better, to put it pretty simply. Um, practitioners included carriers, retailers, manufacturers, and tech companies, and they shared how different projects and applications are helping to improve various aspects of their supply chains. Overall, it was an interesting look at how real-world companies are finding solutions to some pretty big supply chain challenges. Victoria, what are some of those challenges that you discussed, and what stood out to you? Well, as someone who covers the material handling side of the supply chain pretty closely, I was most interested in their discussion of automation because it focused on just that, warehouse and distribution center automation technologies. Um, a representative from Walmart, uh, his name was Mohan Akella, he's Senior Vice President for Fulfillment Platform Strategy and Automation at Walmart, talked about the company's um, transformation journey. And that's a term we hear a lot when companies are shifting to a digital or automated strategy across their businesses. And he really talked about how Walmart is building a new and different supply chain today. Uh, essentially, the company is transforming its fulfillment and distribution center network by adding some very high-tech material handling solutions, things like automated storage and retrieval systems, robotics, autonomous forklifts, and it's all designed to create capacity uh, within its existing footprint. Walmart announced this high-tech initiative a few years ago. Um, and unveiled one of its highly automated warehouses earlier this year. It's in Brooksville, Florida. Uh, Akella actually showed some video from that facility during the conference to illustrate uh, the systems that are at work. Um, and interestingly, the conference coincided with the opening of another such facility, a fulfillment center near Dallas, um, this week. The company made the announcement, I think, on Tuesday. So they're making a lot of progress toward this, this transformation. And then the other interesting thing, Akella also talked about uh, the positive effects of this automation on employees or Walmart's associates, specifically in terms of reducing the physical strain that often comes with warehouse and distribution center work, um, as well as the ability to create higher skilled jobs. Uh, he said, as others have said um, in this capacity, that you always need a human in the equation. Uh, so now workers are, um, programming robots, troubleshooting, things like that, just more uh, highly skilled uh, jobs. The conference coast, uh, covered a host of other issues, of course. Uh, they touched on issues like sustainability, changing customer demographics, and they incorporated information from researchers um, at MIT's Center for Transportation and Logistics. So it was just a good look at, at what's happening in supply chain in general. Yeah, it sounds like it. That Walmart application sounds very interesting. And as we've seen from the past, the Walmart being a leader, what Walmart does, a lot of other people follow. So very interesting to hear some of that. Absolutely. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also, check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics we discussed today. We'd also like to thank Sundarish Herigu from Oklahoma State University for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. 
It's our sister podcast co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Search for Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight and audit payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Their end-to-end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipment processes within the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Check out envisionglobal.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week. 